So I want to start off this morning by just admitting that I am a very flawed individual. And I'm going to take the next little bit and tell you all about some of my greatest flaws. And there's plenty of them. I have an open mic, so I can say pretty much whatever I want about how awful of a person I am. But to really kick things off, I thought I would just grab this mic and let you guys come up and maybe share some of your flaws. Does anybody want to like start us off this morning? Nobody's wrestling to the stage. That's about what I thought would happen. So I'll talk about my flaws. I'll talk about some of the things that uh, probably irritate my family more than just about anything else. The first thing that you will learn about me and my many flaws is that I love to debate. It's a sport for me to see how quickly I can get somebody else frustrated in a debate. It, it's a pastime of mine. And there's times I will debate something I don't even believe in just because I want to see how far we can go with it. To go right alongside of that, I'm also hopelessly stubborn. You cannot change my mind about just about anything. I believe what I believe for a reason. You can ask Rob or any of our coworkers. Most of the way that we do things here are done my way because I'm the most stubborn person on staff. And I'm proud of that. The third flaw that I have is I also am hyper-competitive. I want to win absolutely everything. It's actually gotten to the point in our family where I don't play card games or any other kind of game. They'll ask me, they'll, like yesterday, we played some card games and they invited me over and said, hey, do you want to play games? To which I always respond with the exact same question. Do you want me to play this game? Because I'm going to do everything possible to win. There was one time we were playing Monopoly deal because we can't play the real Monopoly because I'm too competitive and we'll do everything it possibly takes to win. But we started playing the light version of Monopoly just so we can get through it quicker. But the problem is you can also pick on one person in order to win this game. And too often my eldest son, who continues to laugh from the top, knows exactly that I pick on him a little bit too much. So the question always when we play games is, do you really want me to play this game with you all? But the one I really want to talk about, the flaw that absolutely... Uh, takes up the majority of my life is I just can't stop thinking about something when I need to fix things. I'm a fixer. If you present me with a problem and you want to, me to emotionally invest in this problem and just hear you out, I'm sorry, but most of the time in the back of my mind, I'm already thinking to 10 different solutions to your problem. It's who I am. I just try to fix things. And the problem, I, this problem is so bad for me, I probably need therapy for it because a lot of times if we have a big enough problem with our church as far as something that needs to be fixed in the sound or lighting. Sometimes I will fix smaller things to get my gears working in my mind so I can fix the bigger things. So I'm literally fixing little things so that I can then go to fix bigger things because my mind just can't stop turning once I have a problem in front of me. I have to fix it, and I will just obsess over it and think about it nonstop until I fix the problem. I am obsessed with fixing things. And while that is definitely an issue I need to work through as well as all of my other many character flaws, I definitely believe when it comes to being a disciple of Jesus, there needs to be a little bit of that. Being obsessive about Jesus is actually okay. It might be something that we see biblically, and as we carry through our stories today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4 again, but I'm also going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all in the same story. So if you don't have your phone out, if you haven't scanned the QR codes, I highly encourage you, if you don't want to just read along the screen, but you actually want to flip through the scriptures with us, pick up the sermon notes off the QR code, because we're going to be in four different books reading through all of those today. But before we do that, I want to talk about one of the most passionate Christians, I think, that exemplifies today 
what a disciple of Jesus should look like. And that's Francis Chan. We were joking around before service about how Francis Chan talks and his giant hands while he's preaching. If you don't know who he is, you just have to look him up on YouTube. But the only thing that you can describe Francis Chan as is obsessive. But it's a beautiful thing because you listen to Francis Chan talk about his relationship with Jesus, and you can't help but want to emulate the exact same thing that he's doing. And if we're disciples, if we're trying to be disciples of Jesus, that's who I want to try to be like. He's so contagious with the way that he talks and the way that he acts. If you've read any of, any of his books, he's got all sorts of things that he just seems to have this intimate relationship with God that not many people have. I've seen and met lots and lots of different ministers, but few people can actually just give off this amazing vibe of how much they believe and have a relationship with Jesus. And Francis Chan does that so well. So I highly encourage you, first of all, if you've never read any of his books, watched any of his sermons, look him up on YouTube. He's got all sorts of great stuff. But he, today, is almost what I think what the disciples had to have looked like years and years and years ago. So as we're reading through Matthew, we're going to go through again Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we're going to see disciples chosen by Jesus. All right, so we're going to go into Matthew, and we're going to see disciples that ultimately get to be chosen by Jesus. And we're not just going to see Jesus' process through this, but we're going to see the people that he chooses. We're going to get an opportunity to see exactly who Jesus is. has the, the character qualities of all the people, all of his 12 disciples that ultimately follow him 2,000 years ago. And it brings me to a question before we ever even get into it. The first question is this. If these are the people we want to look like, if we ultimately want to be like the disciples, or you want to be like a modern-day Francis Chan, the question we have to answer for ourselves today, first off, is why don't we look like these people? Why don't we give off the same kind of joy that Maybe you can think of another example in your head of the same kind of person. The biggest question around this, I think, is just centers around what's behind me on the screen, which is how can we become contagious believers of Jesus? Because when you witness somebody who has that kind of faith, you just sit there and awe, and you're like, I want to have what they have. I want to look like them. I want to know Jesus the way they know Jesus. And I can honestly say that people like Francis Chan that I've met in my life just give off that amazing feeling of, how they have a relationship with Jesus. So to answer that question this morning, we're going to dive into not only the Jesus side of how he chose four of his 12 disciples, but we're also going to see what those men look like in their response to Jesus. And I believe that that answers this question. So we're going to be reading through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm going to start with Matthew, then I'm going to go slightly out of order after that. But I need you to know, we're going to call these books the Gospels. And you've probably heard, if you've been to church at any point in your life, that people talking about delivering the gospel, or talking about the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ. All that is, is the story of the life of Jesus and what it means for our life, like what Rob talked about during communion. So these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament, are commonly referred to as the gospels. And if you've gone to church for any amount of time with us, you've heard myself or Rob from this stage talk about how important it is to recognize that in each of these four gospels, they are written for a very specific reason. And what's really cool is when you're reading through these passages of scriptures, a lot of times you'll see the same exact story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but they're told in four different ways because each author is different writing to a completely different audience. And so as we read through Matthew, as we read through Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to see different details all about the same story, 
And by the end, we're going to have this beautiful picture of what Jesus calling his first four disciples actually look like. So, if you will, go ahead, grab your Bibles, pull them out, pull out your phone, scan the QR code, and we're going to read through chapter 4, verses 18 through 22 of Matthew. Picking right up where we left off last week with Rob, here's what it says. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately, they left the boat and their father and they followed him. So we see a lot of big details going on just in Matthew with this story. I'm going to go over a few of them for you, and this list is on the screen behind me. First, we see that Jesus meets Simon, who's also called Peter, and you'll see Peter referenced all through the rest of our series through Matthew. Very rarely will he ever be called Simon unless it's using his full name, like he's in trouble or something. He'll be called like Simon Peter when Jesus is reprimanding him or something like that. Kind of like when you were in trouble and your mom used your full name. That's how you knew you were in trouble, right? We'll mostly see him called Peter from then on, but Peter and his brother Andrew are the first people that Jesus meets up with, and then James and John. We know that there's some kind of relationship going on with these two sets of brothers, but we'll get into that more as we read some of the other books. The second big detail that we see is that they were fishermen. This would have been a pretty common trait at the time. As you know, we've been kind of going through, if you want to pull that first map back up, Mikey, real quick, that's got the big image on the front of it. You'll see the Sea of Galilee right at the top there with Bethany, Bethsaida, and Capernaum. And this is where Jesus starts a lot of his ministry. And he starts here because this is a very impoverished part of the world, especially the Middle East. These people would not have had a whole lot of money. They wouldn't have had uh, a way to make a living, really. And so fishing was one of the best ways to do that. If you had a boat and some nets, you could easily make some fish and you could eat. And you could also sell the fish to other people or trade that fish in order to have some of your other needs provided for. Now what's weird is I've heard tons and tons of preachers speculate over these men being fishermen. And I've heard them read the same verses that I just read to you and draw different conclusions from the exact same words. So you probably heard me read, or you may have seen it on the screen behind me, that the second set of brothers, James and John, were mending their nets. And what's crazy is there's preachers that'll get up and say, oh, they were mending their nets because they were catching so much fish because they were such good fishermen, and Jesus was after them because they were so good at what they were doing. Then I've heard other preachers at the exact same time get up and say, well, they were really broke and poor, and so they had to constantly fix their nets because they didn't have the best nets possible, and they couldn't afford new ones because they were so broke, and they were bad at what they were doing because the nets were bad. Neither of which is the point of what Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John is ultimately trying to say with this one little phrase He's just helping us know that they were fishing, they went out fishing, and they came back after they were done fishing, and they used the net. They were fishermen. That's what you should pick up from that story. The third thing, James and John work with their father. This becomes an important detail, as you see at the very end, because immediately they didn't just leave their boat at the end of those verses. It says they left their boat and their father and followed him. Think about that for a second for our lives. How many things in life, if you were called to do it, would you just up and leave your family, especially a family, maybe a family business that you were heavily invested in, but immediately they left 
and followed him. That's the fourth thing. There wasn't a hesitation. They didn't go back. If, if you and I were making these kinds of decisions, you and I would probably go and meet with our families. Uh, I would need to like pray about it for at least a week. I'd have to think about it before I made any major decisions like this in my life, especially to just pick up and leave and go somewhere. Kayla and I will mull over something for like a month before we make major decisions like this. However, immediately, both sets of brothers decide to leave and follow Jesus. Number five, Jesus' request was to follow, and I will make you fishers of men. I'm not going to break this down just yet because I want to skip over to the book of Mark where he's going to have a lot of the same phrase, but he changes some very important details. And I want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus and become fishers of men with what Mark has to say. So if you've got your Bibles with you, flip over to Mark chapter 1 and read. There's very, very subtle differences. Mark is almost exactly like Matthew because most likely Matthew copied Mark's homework. Here's what he says. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. I think I've made that point abundantly clear what that means. And Jesus said to them, follow me and, I will make you, and you will become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. For the most part, exact same story. If I read those back to back, most of you would think I just read the same passage of Scripture unless you got to read it right along with me. And you might notice there's a couple of key differences, but there's one that I really want to point out with the book of Mark. It says that James and John were in close proximity to Peter and Andrew. I emphasize that for you. It said going on a little further, meaning that when Jesus asked the first set of brothers to follow me, I will make you fishers of men, it's likely that not far down the shore, maybe even right next to them at the shore, were the second set of brothers asked, overhearing what Jesus maybe even said. They were very close, which tells me this wasn't two separate events. This was probably one event happening right after the other. There wasn't a pause. Jesus didn't go somewhere else beforehand before going to find the second set of brothers. This was an event that was closely linked together. Everything happened all at once. And so Jesus looks at this set of brothers, either almost immediately right after each other, maybe it was almost the same conversation, but he looks at them and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. This is an invitation. He is asking both sets of brothers to follow him because this was something that was done in the educational system at the time. At some point you would get to the point where you no longer went on in your educational life. Maybe you were trying to become a rabbi. Maybe you were trying to become a religious leader. Uh, very common idea for every, every boy to, to go through that educational process. However, at some point, you likely stopped in order to help your family make money and survive. But those who continued on through the educational system would ultimately be asked by a rabbi to come and follow them so that they too could learn how to be a rabbi. They became disciples of the other rabbis in order that one day they too might become a rabbi. In fact, the definition of discipleship or a disciple is someone who follows another person or another way of life and who submits himself to the discipline or the teaching of that specific leader or way. And so there's lots of different ways that we can become disciples. A lot of us have on this silly little wildcat that we wear around and scream at teenagers running around on a football field every single week. And we are often disciples of sports teams. There's a, a lot of Bengals fans that came out of nowhere in the last couple of years. There was all these Bengals disciples that nobody even knew existed. 
We can be disciples of a lot of things. It can be movies, it can be music, it can be artists, plays, whatever. You can be a disciple of almost anything. But if we are going to be followers of Jesus, that is something that looks a little bit different. And what's sad, a lot of times us as Christians, we're actually a lot better at following the the local sports team or the local artist than we are at following the Savior of the world. And I think this phrase is what makes it a little bit different, honestly. Fishers of men. It's not something that we talk about. It's not something that we use in regular everyday language. I was in student ministry for a long time. There were a lot of females in my youth group when I was in student ministry, and I told them that I was going to teach them to be fishers of men. They might take that a little bit differently. But what it meant back then was it was a literal change of profession. Every single day they went out and they were trying to find fish. That's what it meant to be a fisherman. If you were going to follow Jesus and become a fisher of men, that meant every single moment that you would have spent going out into the sea trying to find fish, now it is your life's work to find men to be disciples of Jesus. And it looks very different from the life they once lived, but immediately every single one of those men threw everything aside and followed Jesus. Let's skip ahead to the book of John now. I want you to see the slightly different version that John tells and where we get a few more details about what this story actually looks like. This is John chapter 1, verses 40 and 42. It says, One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John, and you shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. We see suddenly in this moment, instead of just the whole fishing experiment that Jesus talked about in the first two books that we read, John gives some very different details here. The first thing that he says from the beginning is that Andrew was a follower of John. And it's not John, the other set of brothers, it's John the Baptist that we talked about several weeks ago. Andrew was a disciple of John and heard everything that John preached. So when John got up and said, repent, be baptized, for the kingdom is is near, it's likely that Andrew was there and heard that sermon and knew, just like everybody else at the time, that they were looking for the Messiah, and the Messiah was here. And when he heard John say that Jesus, this man, was the Messiah, that was something that he quickly and hurriedly really wanted to go and tell his brother because this is something everybody at the time was looking for. You went back and you heard the first sermon that I talked about through the book of Matthew, you would see This was the perfect time for Jesus to come to earth because not only the religious leaders were looking for the Messiah, but everyone was so tired because of the political system and how the religious system had even become political that they were ready for something new. Honestly, probably not too different of a time period from modern-day America. We want something different, and so did they, and they were excited to see the Messiah come. Second, Andrew actually brought Peter to Jesus means they probably were out fishing, saw Jesus in a crowd, and pointed him out from the sea and reached shore so that Peter could ultimately meet Andrew as well because they knew that he was the Messiah. Third, we see that Andrew and Peter were looking for the Messiah. Like I said, this was a very big moment in their lives because they finally have the guy that was going to bring peace, everything that they had hoped for. Let me recap. There's a lot of details there. This is available on your notes again, but in Matthew, we discover that Jesus meets Simon, Andrew, then James and John. They were fishermen. James and John worked with their father. Both sets of brothers immediately followed Jesus. Jesus requested them 
uh, I will make you fishers of men. In Mark, we saw that James and John were probably pretty close by when Jesus asked Peter and Andrew those questions. And then in John, we just learned that Andrew was a follower of John the Baptist, and Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, and Andrew and Peter were looking for the Messiah. All those details are great, but Luke is who brings it home for us. He's the one that helps us synthesize exactly what this event looked like. So I'm going to read from you in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is a little bit longer, so follow along the screen with me. It says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Don't get confused, that's still the Sea of Galilee, just a different name. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. When they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The story looks a little bit different when you hear it from Jesus' perspective. Suddenly, you see that Jesus was ministering nearby, which if you were here the last few weeks, you already saw that. We already talked about that with Rob's previous sermon, which if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen. The second thing, we see that Jesus actually met Peter before they came back to shore the second time. Jesus actually went out on the boat with them and taught on Peter's boat. Third, we see that he guided an overwhelming catch. Now, this was probably pretty crazy when Jesus made this request. When Jesus asked them to set out in the deep, think about all the things that had to be going through Peter's mind at the time when he was asked this. First, they'd already, like Peter said, they'd already been out all night long. They'd been laboring all night to catch fish because that is the best possible time to catch fish. And they came back with nothing, meaning they were hungry, they weren't going to have any more food to eat, and they weren't going to have any fish to sell. If you can imagine, I'm sure those people are pretty cranky. We get kind of cranky when we miss one meal. They were probably not going to eat that day because they had no fish in their nets. Peter's probably tired. He's probably hungry. Probably hangry is not a bad description. More so than that, Jesus is telling them to cast out into the deep. And the deep is very difficult because they probably just had small boats at the time. And small boats can't handle big wakes especially that far out into the sea. So they were not prepared mentally, they were not prepared physically, and they were in no way ready to go back out into the deep. But because of what I just told you from John, back in the other gospel, where Andrew told Peter, this guy's the Messiah, even though Peter's probably doubting a little bit at what Jesus is trying to tell him in the moment, he reluctantly says, yes, we will go back out. And because of that, they catch this giant group of fish that is so large that it takes two boats to bring everything in and even at that point it was sinking 
This is probably the biggest catch that they've ever had in their lives. So in that moment, <coughs> Peter recognizes who Jesus is. There's no way their skills and knowledge as a fisherman would have brought up that kind of catch. In fact, their skills that night brought them nothing. And they went out into the most dangerous part of the water in the worst time of day to catch fish. Called in probably the biggest catch that they'd ever had. And it's in that moment that Peter is humbled. Recognizes who Jesus is. This guy truly must be the Messiah. Because what we just experienced would have never happened apart from someone having a divine spirit about them. From there we learn that the brothers were partners. So when Peter and Andrew are out at sea, it's most likely that James and John were in the boat next to them. The boat that they called for help from was probably James and John trying to pull in their boats as well. So when we see them go back to shore and they're fixing their nets, now you know why. It was because they had helped carry in the giant load of fish. But my favorite thing about the difference in what Luke says compared to everybody else is that last verse. It says, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You got from the other gospels that they left their boat, they left their father, all that stuff. But Luke says that they immediately left everything and followed him. So put that all up on the screen, all the details that we've got right there. I'm not going to read over every single one of them because you can find this in your notes. And you can see every single detail that is different between these four books. It paints a very different picture. In fact, I think it probably looks something like this based off of all these details. Most likely... Jesus is walking through the area, and he's been teaching and healing, so much so that word has spread about who Jesus is. People are wondering, people are trying to figure out exactly what he's all about, and so crowds of people probably started to follow Jesus through this really impoverished area of Capernaum. And so when Jesus goes to the Sea of Galilee, there's probably a giant crowd of people behind him, hanging on every word, waiting for him to say something new, or they might be bringing their loved ones to be healed of whatever afflicted them. While that was going on, Peter, Andrew, James, and John are probably coming in from the night trying to get over themselves at how lousy of a night they had trying to catch fish. As they're coming back to shore, Andrew probably raises up his head after he'd been depressed from not catching any fish. Crowd of people following the man that John the Baptist told him about. At that point, Andrew had to turn around and look at Peter and tell him, that's the guy, that's the Messiah. Let's go and see what he has to say. He probably signals to his buddies, James and John and their father, and they all bring their boats to shore to try to find Jesus. They expect him to start teaching at any moment, so they get out and they start repairing their nets from the night's work, when all of a sudden, the guy they've been looking for walks up to them and asks to use their boat. And of course, if you're the guy who's been looking for the Messiah for so long, you're real quick to say, yeah, Jesus, use whatever you want. And not only does he spend time teaching you and talking to you about the, the, the kingdom of heaven, but then he tells you to do something that's a little bit difficult. He tells him, now that you've heard what I have to say, go, cast your nets into the deep. Peter probably remembering the frustrating feeling that he had before, reluctantly agrees to go out. As I said before, they come back with the greatest catch they ever had. 
as they pull their boats ashore to figure out what to do with all these fish. Not only are their bellies now going to be full, but they have all these fish that they can now sell and barter with. Yet maybe all the things that they'd ever dreamed about having. Maybe they were going to go back and be able to do stuff with their home or get some new cows, goats, whatever it might be. All the things that they probably had dreamt about was now coming true. Looks at the two sets of brothers. In that moment, when they had everything that they could possibly have dreamed of, immediately they left everything and followed him. I imagine that situation being more difficult. I imagine if I was in that situation, I would have a really hard time. If you gave me everything in my wildest dreams, I would have a hard time. Most of the time, our dreams get in the way. Most of the time, we struggle to follow Jesus because we're chasing other goals that we have. There's things that we want to achieve. Like, for example, I desperately want to get my PhD. And while even though that might have some ministry significance, it will also probably drive my wife crazy. But I want this for a very specific reason. I want it not only so that I can educate myself, but... As many of you know, my grandmother passed away this past year. I'm so blessed because I got to spend more time with her than any of my other grandparents. She's one of the best and craziest people I've ever met in my life. She's the type of person that you knew her opinion and she didn't care who you were. She was going to tell you what she thought in that moment. Beautiful lady. But there, there were two things that I really got to see absolute joy on her face with. It was when she got to meet her great-grandchildren. I wish I had a picture. I had a hard time finding a picture of her with all my kids. But she lit up anytime my sons or my niece got to go see her. That was the happiest I ever saw her. But the only other time was when she got to see me graduate with my master's. She was so happy. And when she found out that I wanted to get a PhD, she looked at me and said, we're going to have a doctor in the family. And she was joking because like all of my family are nurses, and so I was finally going to be the doctor to all the nurses. But it brought her so much joy to think that I was going to get my PhD, and now I have this obsession with trying to get it. I have this goal that I want to achieve, but I also know that Jesus has called me to do so many things in ministry. While he might have that for me down the road, it's not something I can immediately pursue. Even though that's a godly dream and goal, it's those kind of things that often get in the way because we have... These, these people's opinions that we value. We have these things in our lives that we value that we want to chase after. But a lot of times it's a distraction. And to prove that to you, I, I want to follow an exercise with, with each and every person here. I want you to close your eyes. And this is something I try to do in my life to keep myself in check all the time. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine for just a second that I want you to picture your dream house. I want you to picture maybe the, the bathroom renovation you've always wanted, maybe the, the kitchen you've always wanted, maybe it's all the, the house projects you have in front of you that you've dreamed about doing. Imagine all those are done. Or maybe it's the house you've always wanted to build in the location you've always thought about. Picture yourself in that house. Now, after you've got a, a picture of what that looks like, I want you to picture the car that you've got parked in the driveway. Be a... Ford F-150 Raptor, it can be a Corvette, it can be a Ford Mustang, whatever you want it to be, it's in the driveway. After that, I want you to imagine yourself going to your car, 
getting in and headed to your dream job. The job that you've always said you wanted, with the salary you've always said you wanted, or maybe, maybe it's the amount of money that you've got in the bank that you need to retire. You've got that in this. All right? After that, maybe you actually you want to, you never got to your car because you wanted to work from inside or you were inside, whatever it might be. Imagine you've got it. Second of all, put your, um, the number of kids you wanted to have, the grandkids playing out back, whatever, whatever your dream scenario is, you've got it. Picture it. It should make you smile. Now I want you to open your eyes and tell me in all those dreams, where did you find Jesus in that? Because I think as American Christians, a lot of times we're so busy chasing the dream and the stuff and the things that we value in life that we forget that Jesus is the actual prize. Sometimes we think it's the stuff. Sometimes we think it's the achievement. Sometimes we think it's the reaching our goals. But more often than not, the dreams we're chasing don't include Jesus. If we want to be contagious followers, if we want to be contagious disciples, if you want to be like the people that you've met in life that just clearly have something different, maybe it means pursuing something in your life that's, you no, know, Jesus. So I'm going to call the band back up to play, and I've got one main point for you today. If you want to be that contagious type of Christian, here's the point. We will not hesitate to follow Jesus. We'll do so immediately like the disciples did. Jesus becomes bigger than our own personal desires. When he becomes the thing that we are pursuing, when he becomes the thing we are chasing, suddenly everything in our lives becomes different. Because no longer do we relentlessly pursue our goals and our dreams, while those might be good, they might even be heavenly-style dreams. But if we want to immediately drop everything and follow Jesus, it means that that everything we've been chasing doesn't matter as much as Jesus does. So that's really the question that each and every one of us has to wrestle with this morning. It's not about a system of priorities. It's Jesus. Dude, of Jesus is the only thing that matters. So my question for you today this morning is, how is that pursuit for you? were asked today, if you felt the Spirit moving you to, to go and do ministry in some way, shape, or form, drop everything to follow Him. That's what we're trying to achieve. Let me pray for you guys this morning. Do a little bit more worship. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are a God who is relentlessly pursuing us Lord, I'm so glad that you've asked us to follow you, that you want to be there with us every step of our lives. Lord, I'm, I ask that you make it abundantly clear for myself and for everyone else called us to, the type of discipleship that you've called us to, the way that we can make disciples around us wherever it is that we are. Lord, I pray that you would push us in that direction, and Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage Bravely follow you wherever that might be. Lord, we love you so much, and it is in your Son, Jesus.